Hi, I'm Rob Adams, and welcome to the first episode of Tales from the Booth. In this series, we'll take a look back at moments recorded in broadcasting history. Most of what you'll hear will be sports-related, though we'll also dive into historical moments of interest as well. What you will hear will be either from TV or radio. We'll do our best to ensure that all of the audio is completely accurate, though there might be a recreation that slips through the cracks or that we'll use that to make a point. This journey will be a work in progress for sure, and I hope to add clips of music and other items that will make this an intriguing trip back in time. I've been interested in historical audio for as long as I can remember, and have been interested in sports play-by-play since I was a little boy. When I figured out that I wasn't much of an athlete, I turned my eye towards entering the world of play-by-play. I've been calling games as a professional broadcaster for over 20 years, and I hope you'll be interested in hearing my own calls from time to time. To get started, I think we need to go back to the beginning. The question of the oldest existing recorded sports broadcast is not entirely easily answered, but we feel pretty comfortable with the first broadcasts ever done. The relaying of sports information began with newspaper reporting and word of mouth, but telegraph wires first brought information electronically to a mass audience. A 1911 football game between Kansas and Missouri drew over 1,000 people to Lawrence, Kansas, as a Western Union wire brought information from Columbia, Missouri. The results were then announced to the crowd via megaphone and a large football display board. Similar gatherings announced the results of the World Series in New York City. An attempt at recreating the Lone Star Showdown football game occurred in 1919 in Dallas as a radio announcer received information via telegraph and broadcast the results on experimental station 5XB. A similar manner would be used for many years after that to avoid having broadcasters travel to road games. Live sports came to the airwaves on April 11, 1921, as radio station KDKA of Pittsburgh broadcast the Johnny Dundee-Johnny Ray fight at Motorsports Garden. The match was a 10-round, no-decision fight. The live sports sonic boom hit on August 5, 1921. Harold Arlen, a 25-year-old electrical engineer and foreman from Westinghouse, had an idea. He was also a nighttime announcer on KDKA, which is also considered to be the first commercial radio station. A famous recreation of their first broadcast, the Cox-Harding election returns from 1920, has made the rounds for years. This is KDKA of the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company in East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We shall now broadcast the election returns. <clears throat> we are receiving these returns through the cooperation and by special arrangements with the Pittsburgh Post and Sun. We'd appreciate it if anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us, as we are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching and how it is being received. While we're waiting for the returns to come in over the telephone, direct from the Post and Sun, I'll give you the list of offices in today's presidential election. Here they are. Some 30 million Americans are electing a president of the United States, a vice president, 34 United States senators, 435 members of the House of Representatives, governors of 34 states, and thousands of minor offices, county judges, and officials. (coughs) Okay, those are the offices to be filled. And here are the seven complete presidential tickets that are being voted on. Republican, Warren G. Harding, Calvin Coolidge. Democratic, 
James M. Cox. Again, it has never been proven that this is anything more than a recreation. In fact, the generally accepted earliest broadcast soundbite is this address by President Woodrow Wilson on November 10th, 1923. As you can hear, the quality is pretty bad. But back to Harold Arlen. Mr. Arlen made his way to Forbes Field for the baseball game between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Philadelphia Phillies. He used a modified handheld telephone connected to a transmitter in a box behind home plate. We were looking for programming, Arlen recalled years later, and baseball seemed a natural. I went to Forbes Field and set up shop. Nobody told me I had to talk between pitches. Sometimes the transmitter didn't work. Often the crowd noise would drown us out. We didn't know whether we'd talk into a total vacuum or whether somebody would hear us. The Pirates beat the Phillies 8-5 in back of Possum Whitehead's two hits, while Cy Williams of the Phillies hit the first home run ever broadcast, though what Mr. Arlen said has been lost to history. Harold Arlen thought it was a one-time thing, and reviews found baseball on the radio as, quote, too boring. He would try his hand at a Davis Cup tennis match the next day, and eventually called the Pitt-West Virginia Backyard Brawl on October 8th. WTAW, the former 5XB, called a Texas college football game that November. Meanwhile, the World Series hit the air for the first time in 1921. Famed sports writer Grantland Rice handled the call on KDKA. Telegraph recreations were relayed via WBZ of Springfield, Massachusetts, and WJZ of Newark, New Jersey. Tommy Cowan relayed the messages from writer Sandy Hunt. KDKA did the series again in 1922, with Rice on the call before turning to Bill McGeehan in 1923. By the fourth inning of Game 3, McGeehan seemingly tired of the gig and abandoned the broadcast, and Graham McNamee took over the call of the Giants' 1-0 win over the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Casey Stengel homered for the lone run. The Yankees won their first title that year. We'll hear from McNamee again. In fact, he's the key player in this episode. Graham, who would finally win the Ford C. Frick Award, presented by the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2016, was probably the first true radio star and would be present at the beginning of the National Broadcasting Company on November 15, 1926. Another note about NBC in our discussion of earliest audio. On September 12, 1924, the National Defense Test Day broadcast proved that a national broadcast was possible. The idea was to demonstrate that a War Department message could be delivered from coast to coast. To open this broadcast, listen as all of the participating radio stations are listed as required. It's rather cumbersome. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. We are about to broadcast from the War Department building at Washington, D.C., the addresses incidental to the Special Defense Test Day program. This is station 
WCAP Washington, WEAF New York, WJAR Providence, WNAC Boston, WOO Philadelphia, WGY Schenectady, WGR Buffalo, KDKA Pittsburgh, WSB Atlanta, WLW Cincinnati, WGN Chicago, KSD St. Louis, WDAF Kansas City, WLAG Minneapolis, WOAW Omaha, WFAA Dallas, KLZ Denver, and KGO Oakland, California. Today is National Defense Test Day, and throughout our United States, in every city, village, town, and hamlet were gathered citizens from all walks of life in answer to the Defense Day call. Reports have been received from every section, and they show that the response to the Defense Test Day summons has been most complete and successful. This process would be negated by the creation of NBC and other networks, though individual stations are still required to give their call letters and city of license at the top of the hour. In other words, station identification. WEAF, New York. In fact, McNamee would be at the microphone for the Rose Bowl in 1927 between Alabama and Stanford. Later that year, on September 22, 1927, McNamee would be in Chicago for the fight between Jack Dempsey and defending heavyweight champion Gene Tunney. Tunney had beaten the legendary Dempsey the previous year in Philadelphia, and the bout was a chance for redemption for the Manassa Mauler. McNamee would be at the mic, just as he was the previous September. Soldier Field was the site for the bout, which was famous for the long count in the seventh round. The iconic round took place in front of nearly 105,000 people watching in Chicago and many more listening on radio to McNamee. Gentlemen, the 10-second whistle is just blown. James Barry is looking the two boys over as he stands quietly on the other side of the ring. They're coming together. This is the seventh round. They're up. Neither boy is cut or marked as yet. They both look as if they mean business and plenty, but they don't seem to get each other quite vitally. Dempsey came into Tunney. Both of them shot both hands. Nobody did any damage as they came out. Tunney's right shot Dempsey lightly on the face. Then Tunney shot a hard left to Dempsey's face, which he follows up with two mean left. And as the left is in, is in Dempsey's face, he lands the right. Tunney is down. Tunney is down. From the foot of left, 
Tunney won the fight, and Dempsey never fought again. The controversy over the long count has raged for years. While NBC did not record the broadcast, an outfit called Paramount from Wisconsin held a disc-cutting machine up to the radio to create the lone recording, and thus, our oldest surviving sports broadcast. It was recorded on 10 discs, and a small number of them were sold. Fortunately, it got into the right hands and eventually made its way to the internet. And now, to you. That concludes our first edition of Tales from the Booth. I'm Rob Adams. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time. Tales from the Booth was written and produced by Rob Adams. All copyrights and credits for the audio used on this show belongs to their rightful owners, though many are now in the public domain. Theme music, Swing Has Swung, is by Shane Ivers. Find out more online at silvermansound.com. Special thanks to Susan Schultz, A.J. Simonowski, Sean Saylor, Michael Hearn, John Field, Harold Turk, Chris Irway, Eric Scholl, and Paul Silverfarb for pushing me to start this podcast. This program is copyright 2019, Robcasting Radio and Robcasting Media. 
all rights reserved.